Great. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, it's just so great uh, to be able this morning to carry on uh, with our series, Gifts to Go. Uh, we've been looking, haven't we, at uh, spiritual gifts, the gifts that God equips us with as his children so that we can partner with him and literally change the world one life at a time to go and represent him wherever he sends us. And it's fantastic to have visitors amongst us today. You're so, so welcome. And uh, my hope is that even though we're in the middle of a series, you will find truth to dwell on and think over. Now, uh, the title of today's talk is What's Love Got to Do With It? So that song will now be in your head all day if my preparation is anything to go by. (laughs) Um, But I hope that we'll see as we go through that love has got an awful lot to do with the life God has for us, living in partnership with him. Now, it's timely that we're looking at love today with Valentine's Day on the horizon. little reminder there if you needed it for Thursday. And... uh, This is actually the first Valentine's Day since Rich and I have been married. (laughs) Got married in July. So so I've been on the hunt for a card. Uh, So I I just thought that I would share a couple with you that I have come across. (laughs) They're worth waiting for. Uh, So if we could just have the first one up on the screen. Um, So so this one says, I'll read it to you um, if you can't see the small print there. It says, all you need is love. False, the four basic human necessities are air, water, food and shelter. So uh, that one kind of was was one, but I um, thought, no, that's not really what I want to convey to Richard Valentine's Day. So this was another one I came across. <laughs> so I thought, you know, Rich being an accountant, that might go down well, you know. <laughs> but uh, no, you'll be happy to know I didn't go with either of those, so don't worry, Rich. <laughs> Now, last week, Rob gave us a great insight into the church in Corinth, who were the recipients of the letter written by the Apostle Paul that we've been looking at in our series, the letter of 1 Corinthians. And we heard how the city of Corinth was a vibrant trading centre, and the church would have been full of people from all walks of life, bringing with them all kinds of baggage. So many of the Christians were very new in their faith, having converted from a pagan background where witchcraft and idol worship would have been just their normal everyday experience. Having planted the church a few years earlier, Paul writes them this letter of 1 Corinthians that we have in our Bibles to help keep them on track. He'd received reports that the church was rife with serious problems. The Christians were reverting back to their pagan practices and even occultism. And division, sexual immorality and social snobbery were just commonplace. There was a culture of one-upmanship. And all of this was resulting in the Corinthians misusing the gifts that God had given them. Instead of using the gifts as God intended to encourage other people, They were using them to please themselves, motivated by the thrill of the experience and wanting to make themselves look good by competing to be the loudest voice. They'd got their motivation all wrong. 
And so sandwiched between Paul's main teaching and training about spiritual gifts is this famous love passage, chapter 13, which is what we're going to be looking at today. Paul shows the Corinthians the most excellent way, a way of using the gifts as God intended to encourage and build up others motivated by love. Now, this chapter has probably become one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. From wedding ceremonies to inspirational posters, we're probably quite familiar with it. Even Google knows what you mean if you just type in love chapter. But I wonder whether the danger is we can become over-familiar with these kinds of passages in the Bible so that we don't really stop to ask God, what is he saying to us? Paul didn't have fluffy teddies clutching hearts and red roses in mind when he wrote these verses to the Corinthians. They are actually some of the most challenging and humbling verses in Scripture, and they pack a real punch. As I've meditated on this chapter whilst preparing for today, I've become convinced that taking this passage seriously and partnering with the Holy Spirit to live as these verses describe will bring God's kingdom to others as we seek to change the world one life at a time. My hope is that God would bring us fresh revelation and insight as we look at this familiar passage. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to read it. Father God, we love you. We love your word. We love that it is living, that it is active. We love how it just gets to the heart of the matter. And I pray for us now as we read your word. Would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you come on us again now? Would we know your presence as we read these words? Father, would you open our heart to all that you've got for us? We're ready to receive from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. So if you've got your Bibles, if you can turn to 1 Corinthians 13... It will come up on the screen as well. We're actually going to read from um, the last verse of chapter 12. So chapter 12, verse 31. So Paul writes, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, 
always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be sealed. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the way of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully know, sorry, shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Wow. So Paul uses the word love nine times as he illustrates what love is and what love is not. And as he moves from the end of chapter 12 into chapter 13, he continues to speak into the situation of the troubled church at Corinth, reminding them that spiritual gifts were given to unify and build up the church, not divide it. In 12.31, Paul explains the underlying approach that should motivate us to use all of the gifts. He says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. We can and should desire additional spiritual gifts. God doesn't ration his gifts to his children. There's no set quota. And our desire should be for the greater gifts, i.e. those that have a wider impact on the lives of others. However, a still more excellent way than just seeking the greater gifts is to use the gifts in love so that others are built up. The gifts God gives us are never ours to possess. They are the Holy Spirit's. And a gift is only a gift when it's given to someone else. God gives us gifts so that we can encourage others and call the best out of them. Love-saturated gifts build us up, yes, as individuals, but crucially, they strengthen the church and change the world around us. Paul's problem with the Corinthian Christians was that they weren't using their gifts in love. They'd got their motive all wrong. And we're using the gifts for their own selfish reasons. And he gives us three consequences of what it's like when spiritual gifts are used in this way without being motivated by love. So firstly, Paul says, without love, you are an annoyance. Verse one, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Imagine if I went over to the drums now and just bashed on the cymbal. I mean, there would be no melody, no peace in your heart as you heard it. It would just add nothing. It would be really annoying. And Paul picks on this gift of tongues to demonstrate this because, as we heard last week, the use of tongues was one of the main issues in Corinth. It seems people who had this gift thought they were better than those who didn't. 
And so they would make a show, shouting out loudly, working themselves up into a trance and speaking out words that didn't make sense. Their motive wasn't to encourage and to build others up, but to be noticed, to gain attention. Rather than stepping out in the gift God had given them to serve and encourage others from the place of his approval and acceptance, they demonstrated their gift in order to gain attention and approval from others. To be seen and known is a God-given desire. But we must have our affirmation and who we are directly coming from our Heavenly Father. We need to stop long enough in the busyness of life to find that we already have his full attention and full approval so that we're not looking to others to fulfill that for us. Otherwise, we can end up using these spiritual gifts for our own purposes rather than to bless and encourage others. We are called to a more excellent way. Secondly, Paul says, without love you are nothing. So verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Without love, Paul says our prophesying, knowledge, and even faith is worthless. Now, these gifts of knowledge and understanding are not the issue here. Again, it's about our motive. If our motive is to extend our fame and reputation by knowing our Bible inside out or accurately predicting the future and prophesying to the rich and famous, then our gifts are worth nothing. If we demonstrate great faith because we want people to speak well of us, it is worth nothing. Spiritual gifts are never ours to hold on to. They are not for us to hide behind or to find value or approval in. They are for giving away to others in love to strengthen and encourage. Without love, they have no substance. They're noisy and worth nothing. Thirdly, Paul says, without love, you gain nothing. Verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. The ESV translation of this verse says, if I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned. So the implication of this verse is being martyred for our faith. But Paul says, even if we do these things, if our motive is to boast, to gain external reward, rather than being motivated by love, then we gain nothing. It doesn't make any difference how much money we give or how much we serve. It makes no difference how much we suffer for the needs of others. Unless our motivation is love, we gain nothing. The only gain is where we do it for love. The most excellent way to give and to suffer and even to die is to do it in love. The most excellent way to use the gifts God has given us 
to speak in tongues, to prophesy, to demonstrate faith, is to do it in love, as God intended, to encourage others and build up others. Love is the greatest and most important manifestation of God's presence that the church has. When we love, we bring God into people's lives. Love should be our greatest ambition and our only motivation. And Paul doesn't leave us guessing as to what being motivated by love looks like. It's not an abstract, indescribable feeling towards others that the Valentine's cards would have us believe. No, love looks like something. Let's read verses 4 to 7 again. Love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It's like Paul shines a light to show the Corinthians why some of their attitudes and behaviours have been unacceptable. He's saying, you're behaving in a way that is not how love acts or feels. Rather than being motivated by pride, self-service and a desire to boast, he sets out this new pattern of being in the world with others where everything we do is motivated by love. Now, John Piper helpfully points out that the 15 characteristics of love that Paul describes falls into three categories. So number one, love is enduring. Number two, love is humble. And number three, love is kind. Kindness is so important that it has a category all of its own. And I've actually colour coded these for us. If we could have the next slide up. If, like me, you're very visual, you can just see how those three categories then link all of those verses together. So I just thought we'd go through those. Firstly, love is enduring. So those are the words in green. So this looks like being patient, being protective of others, trusting others. That's about believing the best in others. I find for me, when I haven't spent time listening to what my Heavenly Father says about me and hearing his approval, I can quickly fall victim to mistrusting others. So I can misinterpret an innocent comment as a criticism. So, for example, many of you know I'm a teacher and sometimes a parent will ask to see me after school. And if I'm not in a good place in terms of spending time with God and hearing his words of love over me, then I can assume that something is wrong, that I'm going to get it in the neck for something. Rather than preparing well and asking the Holy Spirit how I can partner with him in whatever the parent needs to talk to me about. Love also hopes the best for others and it perseveres, doesn't give up on each other. Secondly, love is humble. So those are the words in red. And because love is humble, Paul describes some things that love does not do. 
So it doesn't envy others. It's not boastful. It's not proud or arrogant or obsessed with looking good. We've seen already that these were some of the problems that Paul had with the Corinthians. And it came out in the way that they were using the spiritual gifts. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-centered or get angry easily or score points. It doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It's glad for the truth to advance. And thirdly, love is kind. Now, I think this one can be really underrated. Kindness is not the same as being nice. Love doesn't make us nice. It makes us kind. Niceness is based on how other people see you, whereas kindness is about your values and what motivates you at the core. It speaks of generosity of heart, of being considerate, of helping others, without expecting to be repaid. It's no surprise then that as Paul paints his picture of what love is and what love is not, he perhaps subconsciously draws us a portrait of a person, Jesus himself. He is our living example of this enduring, humble, self-sacrificing love. The standard of love is very high. In fact, it feels unobtainable for us in our own human efforts. These verses uncover our weaknesses, expose gaps, and interrogate our motives like no other passage. Have you ever tried reading through this list and replacing the word love with your name? It makes very difficult reading. But I wonder if Paul sets the bar so high to make this point. You can't do it yourself. You can't love like this in your own human efforts. This is a work of God. And God has already demonstrated his perfect love to us. He knew that we couldn't measure up even to our own expectations, let alone meet his perfect holy standards. But because as 1 John 4, 8 tells us, God is love. He made a way so that we could live in perfect love with him and with others. 1 John 4 continues, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The gospel is the answer to this problem of love. God loved us so much that he wasn't prepared to let us live a life separated from him by our sin and shortcomings. He sent his son Jesus to die as a sacrifice to take away our sins and the damage that we've done to our relationship to him and to those around us. It's in his grace we stand. There is no other way. 
And because of this, we have hope. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 5, 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. I love the picture that that conjures up. If I was to come over to you now and pour a huge, great jug of water over you, you'd be absolutely covered. You'd be soaked right through. And then when you went to talk to people at coffee time, they would notice that I poured a huge, great jug of water over you. And if they got close to you, they'd get wet too as you dripped on them. You gave them a hug and left them soaking. One of the things that happens each time we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us is that God's love is poured over us into our hearts again and again and again. There's not just a jug full. He reminds us of who he is and who we are, beloved sons and daughters who are worth dying for. He pours his life into us so that it overflows out as we love others, free from guilt or fear or striving or shame or comparison. We are free to love others out of a sense of worthiness and authority because Jesus has already purchased our acceptance and approval on the cross. We don't have to look to others for those things. God's love never fails us. And it's his love that motivates us to love others. Everything we have on this earth is imperfect. Just a shadow, so temporary, except for one thing, love. It's love that counts. The kind of love that never gives up, never runs out, never loses heart. Only love never fails. In verse 8, Paul tells us where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. One day, prophecy will cease because no further revelation will be needed. Tongues will be stilled because there will be nothing left to say. And knowledge will no longer be necessary because we will know everything. Love really is our only option. If we are to be a church that changes the world by loving the unlovely, standing against injustice and fighting for restoration, healing and freedom for people's lives, we are going to need to take seriously this mandate to do everything in love. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You could call this grown-up thinking, which was something that the Corinthian Christians hadn't really got their heads and hearts around. Because Paul says in verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. He's saying, when I was a child, I behaved like you're behaving now. 
He's already accused them of this once. Listen to what he says earlier in chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? The jealousy and quarrelling was making them act like children. And it was impacting the way they used God's spiritual gifts. Now, I teach a class of reception children to their four and five-year-olds. And they are just at the start of their journey of what it looks like to love one another. We talk every day about how we treat each other and what being a good friend looks like. But the truth is that four-year-olds are not naturally very good at it. So, for example, they're not very patient. I have uh, big sand timers that the children can use to help them take turns with the trains or the computer or whatever it is that they're not being very patient over. They need that visual representation that their turn will come. Children are also not consistently kind. We talk a lot in my class about what kindness looks like, about being thoughtful and helpful and using our words rather than getting cross and lashing out. And Paul says this is how the Corinthians were behaving. They were not people who lived by the Spirit, following God's most excellent way of love, but were mere infants in Christ, children. Love is a grown-up trait. Jesus wants us to be fully functioning adults in his kingdom, to not throw our toys out of the pram when things get hard. As Paul says in verse 11, to put the ways of childhood behind us, to talk, think and reason like an adult, to use our gifts to protect and champion others, to believe the best in each other, And not give up on each other. And there's a difference, isn't there, between childishness, which is what Paul accuses the Corinthians of, and childlikeness. Jesus told us that we needed to be childlike. He said that unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was not talking here about love, but of faith. He says that our faith, needs to be childlike and this encompasses all the beautiful things about children their trust joy innocence curiosity and wonder that's how we need to be with Jesus trusting him with a childlike faith but our love needs to be something altogether robust and more mature what we need is childlike faith but grown-up love I wonder if sometimes we can get it the other way round. Grown-up faith, but childlike love. Grown-up so-called faith that is cynical, knowledgeable, suspicious. And childlike love that is selfish, lacking in patience, fickle, and throws tantrums when it doesn't get its own way. We are called to a more excellent way. To be a church that is grown up 
in its love for others. Love must have its way. Love needs to lead, to interrogate our hearts, to challenge our actions and our reactions. The same love that led God to send his only son. Love that led Jesus to die. Love that has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Have you allowed his love to lead you? To shape you? To influence your character? Is love your motivation when you use the gifts that God has given you? This is about partnering with the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. Love is a natural outworking of the Holy Spirit in us. We love not from our own efforts, but from the Holy Spirit's filling. That's the only way that we can love in the way Paul describes in these verses. And so we just need to ask to be filled again. Holy Spirit, bring the love. Help me to love well today. There are moments in my day when I feel the stress rising or impatience brewing because I've had to remind my class for the tenth time that we can choose to use kind hands. But it's in those moments that I'm learning to just take a breath and say, Holy Spirit, fill me. God has put a lot of children and families in my life this year who are carrying a huge amount of brokenness. And to be honest, I spent much of last term feeling completely overwhelmed and unsure of how to pray. The breakthrough came for me when I heard the Father say, just love them. There are still days when it's really hard and I can't see how behaviours and problems are going to change. But I know that that's not my job. I get to invite the Holy Spirit to fill me and fill my classroom. And I leave the rest to God. So, for example, there are times where I've asked for the Holy Spirit's help. And he's shown me prophetically what a child needs in that moment. And then I can communicate that to them. Just using my normal everyday words like Rob encouraged us to do last week. And on Friday, my head teacher came to observe me teach. And one of the things that she said to me in her feedback was that the change in my classroom since September is miraculous. She used that word. Now, she's not a Christian as far as I know, but she could see that the changes are not just the result of clever strategies and human efforts. I know it's a work of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to try really hard to change the world. It's about partnering with the Holy Spirit. We bring the hands and feet. He brings the love. And I believe that that's a word that some of us need to hear today. As I was preparing, I felt like the Father wants to take some heavy yokes off. Love was never meant to be a heavy thing. His yoke is easy. We love as we partner with the Holy Spirit 
and follow his lead in doing what the Father is doing. So try asking him, who in my day have you got a word of encouragement for, Lord? Who needs some time today? Who needs to know hope today? Who are the ones and twos this week that God wants you to stop what you're doing and demonstrate love to as you use the gifts that God has given you to bless and encourage others? As you go about your everyday life full of the Holy Spirit, expect God to use you as you make the choice to step out and use the gifts he's given you from the place of love. So as we finish, God has a huge variety of gifts for all who are willing to receive them. And we are called to use them in his most excellent way of love to build others up as we champion and value them calling out the best that God has for them. We just need to ask. We just need to ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us, to let him pour his love over us, to hear the Father's approval, so that we can change the world one life at a time. So I'd love to finish by praying for us to be filled up again with him as we go into our week. So can I encourage you to stand if you're able to? Let's just engage with the Father. Here's a chance for us to respond. I just wonder whether there's a couple of responses that might be in our hearts. I know for me, my response when I read these verses is, Lord, help, but I'm available. I want to partner with you, Holy Spirit, in doing what the Father's doing, in living this life of love. But it may be that you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus yet. And God's been speaking to you about his love today and you want to find out more. If that's you, I'd encourage you to talk to the person you came with. And I'd love to chat with you afterwards. But let's just receive what the Father's got for us in this moment. Father, we turn our hearts to you. As we read those verses of what love is and what love is not. We know we need you. We need your Holy Spirit. So would you come? Would you fill us afresh? Thank you that you equip us and empower us to live the best life that you've got for us. Thank you that, Father, you pour your love upon us through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, just receive his love again now. Just see the Father's face, his smile of approval and acceptance. We love because he first loved us. And Father, would you send us out? Would you show us the ones and twos this week? Who is it that needs encouragement? 
Who is it that needs hope? Who needs to experience the love of the Father that flows out from us? Holy Spirit, thank you that we get to partner with you, that your yoke is easy, Jesus, and your burden is light. We don't want to be conjuring up love in our own strength. We choose to partner with you, Holy Spirit. So we thank you, Jesus. We thank you. And we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.